0: Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. We have been in a series as we work in through the book of Colossians called Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I just want to say the reason this series is so crucially important for us is because at some point people try to get us and the and the enemy tries to get us to a place where we buy in to a notion, especially as believers. That if I'm searching for peace, if I'm searching for hope, if I'm searching for joy, if I'm searching for acceptance, that somehow or another that Jesus isn't enough, and what I need is Jesus plus something to equal the desired thing that I'm pursuing. And what we've found out through the Apostle Paul as we've walked through the book of Colossians is this, is that Jesus is enough. Amen? Amen? It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals Everything. And my prayer has been this from day one, that as a church, as a body of believers, that we might find ourselves in that place where we go, not just do I believe it with my mouth, I believe it in my heart that Jesus really is enough. But I just want to say to this to you this morning and remind you of this, the enemy's not okay with us buying into that. The enemy's not okay with us living our life in light of going, okay, Jesus really is enough. The enemy's not okay with that. He's going to do all he can do to keep us from really and truly embracing that mindset, embracing that biblical truth. He's going to do all he can do. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the main tactic of the enemy to try to keep us from embracing this truth is he tries to use worldly philosophies, right? And in fact, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I quoted two very famous philosophers. Does anybody remember who they were? Great. So I'll remind you, the first one was Daniel LaRusso who said, what goes around comes around. Do you remember that one? And then I quoted the other famous one in the, in the 21st century, Kelly Clarkson, who said, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you what? Stronger. And so I know those are silly philosophies, but that's the way some people live their life. And the reality is, when you look at what goes around, comes around, that's called karma, that's, that's bad. And if you look at this notion of if it doesn't kill you, makes you stronger, well, that's just wrong, right? I mean, that's not true. And so we've got all these worldly philosophies that are inundating our lives, from talk radio to the TV shows we watch to the news outlets we watch. I mean, we are inundated with philosophies, and the enemy wants to use those to keep us from buying in to this truth. And hopefully what we have decided over the last couple of weeks as that we believe this over the worldly philosophies. In fact, Paul was so concerned with the church of Colossae that they were going to buy into the philosophies that the church was being inundated with that he reminds them, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, he says, make sure that you're never taken captive by worldly philosophies. Make sure that you don't find yourself in a place in your life where you're being enslaved to these. And he tells us the reason why. He says, because these philosophies, they always fall short. These philosophies are deficient they never meet what they're supposed to meet, right? But on the other hand, Jesus is enough because worldly philosophies try to shape our sense of identity, our sense of purpose, our sense, our worldview, and it always takes us down the wrong path. He said, so those philosophies of the world, man, they're deficient, but Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is enough. You know why? Not just because of who he is, as we talked about week one, as the one who's supreme, sovereign, and superior, but also he's sufficient because of what he's done for us. And you remember what he talked about? He said, you know what? He's changed you. He's rescued you. He's forgiven you. He's given you hope. He's given you a purpose, and he's given you the victory. And so Jesus is sufficient in the eyes of Paul. Jesus is sufficient not just because of who he is, but because what he's done for for us, And so he reminds the church of Colossae. He warns them, don't let these worldly philosophies take you captive because they will always fall short. But Jesus never will, right? Now today we're going to look at two more warnings that Paul gives. And, and as we look at these two warnings, here's what we're going to find out. There are three specific philosophies That Paul addresses. There's three specific philosophies that Paul warns them of in these two warnings. So if you have your bibles I want you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word We're going to be in colossians chapter 2 and i'm going to start reading in verse 16 If you don't have a bible, it will be on the tvs. Here it goes chapter 2 verse 16 says this therefore Let no one pass judgment on you and question of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or the sabbath these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions. They are puffed up without reason by his sensuous minds and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with and growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to these regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of what? No value. Say with me, no value and stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for today, Lord. And I pray that today we did come with that heart to give you the praise and the glory because everything does revolve around you, Jesus. Everything revolves around you. So may you open your word to our hearts today. May may we hear clearly from you and may we heed the same warnings that the Apostle Paul gives this church. So be with us today, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. Have a seat. Have a seat. Now, as we look at this passage, there are two warnings that I want you to notice with me. And the first warning is found in verse 16 and 17. So let's look back there. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you and questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or the new moon or the Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He says, Let no one pass judgment on you. That's the warning. Make sure that nobody is passing judgment on you. That phrase, passing judgment, just means to pronounce judgment against you. Make sure that you need to guard your life against people who are quick to want to pronounce judgment against you. And what Paul begins to do is he begins to address the very first philosophy here. It's the philosophy of legalism. And we see it all throughout this passage here, the philosophy of legalism. And if you don't know what legalism is, let me define it for you in the biblical context. Legalism is this. It's that I, in order for me to be accepted by God, I must do certain things. So I must do in order to be accepted. And so, in other words, I need to keep a certain list of rituals, a certain amount of regulations. I must do these things in order to be accepted by God. That's what legalism is. And that was a philosophy that was beginning to inundate the church of Colossae that Paul is speaking up against. And so there was obviously a group of people that had snuck into the church. These false teachers are going, listen, you guys aren't keeping the law. You guys are breaking the law. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not honoring the rituals and regulations of the traditional Jewish people, and so we're going to pass judgment on you. Now that phrase, pass judgment, doesn't just imply uh, to pass, uh, you know, to, to, to pronounce judgment. It literally could be translated to pronounce condemnation. That's how it to be translated. So the idea is, because this church of Colossae is not honoring some of the law, and we'll get to what piece in a minute, some of the law, there's outsiders, these false teachers are coming in and saying, because you aren't doing What you're supposed to do, and you're not keeping the law, we're going to pronounce condemnation against you. Now, this is a quick question Have you ever known anybody like those kinds of people? that when you're trying to live a life that's honor pleasing to God, but they've bought into the philosophy of legalism, that if I want to be accepted by God, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. To do this. And acceptance only comes through performance, not through faith. Have you ever had anybody like that in your life that comes and they begin to pronounce condemnation on your life? Like, Well, you're never going to get to heaven if that's the way you believe. You're never going to, you're never going to, you're never going to be close with God if that's the, that's the position you take in life. You ever had anybody like that in your life? Well, that's what's going on here. False teachers have shown up. And obviously the church of Colossae is bought in to the real truth that is but we are saved by grace through faith and yet these false teachers are coming and going, no, 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 you've got to perform to be accepted. And if you don't perform, we are going to pronounce condemnation on you. Now, in particular, Paul tells us the laws they weren't honoring. He says this, he says, be careful not to let them pass judgment on you when they begin to question you of food, drink, and with regard to festival or the new moon. In other words, they are, they are condemning them because they are not honoring the ceremonial laws of the Jewish faith. It's it's basically the dietary laws. The dietary laws they find in the Old Testament, the Church of Colossae obviously was not adhering to those, and these false teachers come along and say, listen, you're not honoring the dietary laws, and so they began to pronounce judgment on this church. Now, something that is really important for us to know, and you may already know this because you're way smarter than I am, but if you don't know this, I'm going to challenge you to write this down because this is pretty important for us. There are three types of laws in the Old Testament. Three kinds of laws, and we're going to to talk about why these are important. There are three kinds of laws. You ready? Here's the first one. The first one are the moral laws. Moral laws are basically like the Ten Commandments. That's when God establishes, okay, we're not going to steal. We're not going to kill. We're going to honor our father and mother. I know why I got to the teenage section when I said that. We're going to honor our father and mother. I mean, These are moral laws, which means that God is saying, this is what holiness looks like. The moral laws are all about holiness. If you want to live a life that is holy and is pleasing, the moral law defines what it looks like. So there's moral laws. In fact, we see the first bunch of that when when Charlton Heston, known as Moses, comes off the mountainside, right, with the Ten Commandments. Those are the moral laws. But there's also civic laws. These laws were designed to dictate behavior. So if you stole from somebody, here's how we're going to treat you. If something happens to you and you don't cry out for help, here's how we're going to treat you. Grooming in Leviticus was part of the civil laws, and most of you in the room have broken that law already because some of you have nothing up here or nothing right here, right? And so you know, the civil laws were a big law. And then they had the third kind of law. They were the ceremonial laws. These were laws that revolved around the festivals and the dietary issues of the Jewish people, the dietary laws that God has established. Now, obviously, when you look at these, do we honor, do we live by, are we obligated to keep the ceremonial laws? The answer is no, in case you were doubting that. The answer is no, we're not. Are we obligated to keep the civil laws of the Old Testament? The answer is no. And I'll go a step further. Are we obligated to keep the moral laws because we're under the law? The answer is no. Now, I will say this about the moral laws. The moral laws still are a picture of what holiness looks like. So I want to keep the Ten Commandments, not because I'm obligated, because I'm under the law. I keep them because that's what holiness still looks like. Not killing someone still matters to God. Not stealing still matters to God. Honoring your father and your mother still matters to God. And so the moral laws, we keep those as believers, not because we're under the law or obligated to it, but because that's what holiness still looks like. And if that makes sense to you, say amen. All right, we got that? So these are the three laws that you see in the Old Testament. Now, here's why we're not obligated to keep them. You ready? Because Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of all the laws. He said, i am not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. I mean, Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of all the laws. In fact, Paul says it this way. He says, "These laws are a shadow of things to come, and the substance is Christ. Here's what it means. The laws that God created in the Old Testament, the moral law, the ceremonial laws and the civic laws, these lo- the civil laws, these laws were just a shadow of things to come. In other words, they were a picture of what God wanted his, how. God wanted his people to live so that they could live a life set apart from the rest of the nations. The civil laws, the ceremonial laws, and the moral laws were just a shadow of the heart of God, of what matters to God as far as how they were to live a life set apart from everybody else. But then he says that Jesus is the substance. So while the laws were just a picture of the heart of God, Jesus fulfilled all the laws. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he was the perfect fulfillment for all that. And because we put our faith in Christ we are no longer under the law but we are in Christ does that make sense man this is a beautiful thing for us so now let me back up for a minute so paul's concerned he's concerned that this church of colossae is being inundated with this philosophy of legalism it says hey it's not grace it's not faith it's works salvation that's what they're permeating And so Paul says, listen, I don't want you to be intimidated by the philosophies of legalism. Don't let people condemn you. Don't let people cast judgment on you. Don't let people, you know, just just pronounce this condemnation about keeping the law. Don't let them push you into keeping the law because you are not under the law. You have been freed from the law. And listen, don't go back to bondage. Can you imagine a prisoner that was given a life sentence that was released after 25 years walks out and goes, no, I prefer to go back to prison. Can you imagine that? But you know what? Most of us, that's how we live our life. We are free from the bondage of sin. We are free from the legalism. But so many times we find ourselves going back, don't we? In fact, I would say this, this note, this philosophy of legalism is as live and as active today as it ever was. But you know what we couch it in? We don't call it legalism. We call it religion, right? Right? I can't tell the number of people I talk to go, well, I'm religious. You know what you just said to me? You're about to work salvation. I need to do these things in order to be accepted by God. We couch it in the term religion or this notion that well, I'm a pretty good person compared to who? I mean, if you're comparing to me, you still stink, right? I mean, why well, I mean, who are we compare? I mean, at what point is there a measuring stick that goes, This is I mean, Jesus is the measuring stick. And when we look, compare our lives to Christ, none of us are good. In fact, the Bible says no one's good, no not one, right? And so I think this idea of legalism is still, uh, is still around in our communities and it's still around and unfortunately sometimes in our churches, right? Where we buy into this notion of religion that we must perform in order to be accepted. And I'm just going to tell you, I bet there's some people in the room today, yes, you know you were saved by grace through faith, but you feel like if I'm going to still continue every day to be accepted by God, forgiven by God, and loved by God, I've got to perform to earn his love. And I'm telling you, you're missing the boat if you think that. Listen, he just loves you, period. You are just forgiven, Period. It's not about a performance. It's not about working for greater love. I mean, listen to this. This may blow your mind. God loves you as much today as he's ever going to love you. He's not going to love you any more than he already loves you. So stop trying to perform your way into greater graces with God. You've received the greatest and deepest and widest love you're ever going to receive at the moment of salvation. That's it. So stop trying to work your way. So this philosophy has got to die in the church. And then he gives a second warning here in verse 18 and 19. He says this, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together, and its joints and ligaments grows with growth that is from God. Now here's what he says. Here's a second warning. Not only let no one pass judgment on you, but let no one disqualify you. Now this phrase to disqualify could be translated to defraud you. So in other words, don't let anybody, you know, come along that's got this legalistic philosophy. Don't let people come along there and, and, and kind of push you down this path of going, you know what, if you're going to be loved and accepted by God, you must do certain things. Don't let anybody condemn you for living a life where you were saved by grace through faith. Don't let anybody condemn you for that. And then he comes along and gives a second warning. Make sure that no one disqualifies you. Make sure that no one defrauds you. And here's what this whole idea is about. Defrauding someone is to try to make them believe something that is true that isn't true. Now what were these false teachers going to try to defraud them with? Well, they were going to try to defraud them with two other philosophies. These philosophies were, if you don't embrace these philosophies, that you somehow are going to miss your eternal reward. And they were defrauding them into buying into these two false philosophies. And let me tell you what they were. The first one was the philosophy of asceticism. That's a word that's not uncommon to us. We probably have heard that word before. But let me tell you what asceticism is. Asceticism is a life of rigorous self-denial, that's just an easy definition. It's a life of rigorous self-denial. Now, it could also be kind of looked at in the sense of the punishing of the body, right? I mean, as someone who's an ascetic will punish the body. Maybe you've watched old shows, or maybe like the Viking shows where they have monks and, and they have these whips and they just sit there beating themselves. Well, that's called asceticism, where they believe they could beat their body into submission. And so, this notion of asceticism is this this life of rigorous Self-denial. Now, at the core of asceticism, and I'm going to give you a theological word, was a belief called dualism. And we've talked about it before. Dualism was a philosophy that said, oh, it's not really a philosophy, it's an idea that said this, that the body is bad and the spirit is good. So do whatever you want to with the body, only the spirit matters. So for an ascetic, they're going like, okay, I need to make sure that I abuse the body so I can grow in my spirit. Because the body's bad, right? That's what they believed. So at the very core of asceticism was this notion of dualism that the body's bad and the spirit's good. So what they literally believed was this, I need to abuse and neglect my body so that I can be more spiritual. That's what they believed. Now, what Paul is saying is, listen, don't let them defraud you into believing this nonsense there are people that are they're coming into the church and they're telling you, if you really want to be deep spiritually, if you really want to have a, a deeper sense of spirituality, you need to adhere to the ascetic lifestyle. You need to literally beat your body into submission. You need to neglect your body into submission. You need to do all these things if you want to have a deep spiritual walk with the Lord. And Paul says, no, that's not right. Right? And don't be defrauded by this notion. Now, I know some of you who are way smarter than me. Immediately, when I said that, you go, well, "Wait a minute, Doug. Pause." Because in Luke nine twenty three, Jesus says this: "If any man would come after me, he must what?" Didn't you? Like, I don't know if I want to say that out loud, Doug. He must deny himself. Well, Doug, isn't denying self the same thing as asceticism? The answer is no asceticism was the extreme when jesus said if you if any man would come after me he must deny himself listen here's what jesus is saying he's not saying that we have to neglect and abuse our bodies what he's saying is i want you to surrender your will i want you to deny i want you to surrender your will your desires your dreams your hopes and exchange them for mine. So when Jesus says you must deny self, he's not talking about beating your bodies and neglecting your bodies and, and abusing yourself. He's talking about surrendering this thing to him. So the first philosophy that Paul totally annihilates is this notion of asceticism. But let me talk about the third philosophy, which was a humongous one in the, in the Colossae area. And it was a philosophy of mysticism. The philosophy of mysticism. Do you pick up on what he said there? Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. So mysticism is kind of that notion of the worship of angels. And let me tell you what mysticism is. It is a higher pursuit. It's a pursuit of higher and deeper religious experience. That's what mysticism is. It's this notion that that I'm going to pursue a greater level and a higher level of a religious experience. It's something that is not common to humanity. Man cannot experience this. It's something that's almost like, I guess you would say it this way, it's almost like an outer body kind of thing. It's an experience that that goes beyond man. It's an experience that's almost divine, so to speak. That's what mysticism is. So with mysticism, there at the core of it, was this, this, this idea that, uh, that uh, the adoration of angels. So the very heart of mysticism is that they would adore angels, that angels were the higher beings. And because humanity is so unworthy to approach a holy God, the angels were the ones that would help us approach God. Angels will create this mystical union between humanity and between God. Now, I understand some of you are saying, this is crazy. And yes, you're right, it's crazy, but stay with me for a moment. And so that's what they were teaching. That this mysticism was, listen, that you can have this higher level of religious experience through the adoration of angels or the worship of angels. And these angels, and only these angels can foster, as your mediator, can foster a mystical union between you and the Lord. Now, you would look at that and go, that is just bogus, right? Would you all agree with that? Not everybody. Would you all agree with that? Yes, you agree. It's bogus. Now, here's what they do. And I find this fascinating because the way they validate what they're saying is by this. Listen to this again. It says, and they're going on in detail about visions. Now, the way they validate this idea of mysticism, this philosophy of mysticism that run rapid in the town of Colossae, the way they validate it was by saying, I had a vision. Now, I need you to track with this one because this one's going to be a big one for us. They said I had a vision. Now, when you say you have a vision, here's what you're saying something has been revealed to me that hasn't been revealed to anybody else. You follow that? Now, in theological terms, we call that special revelation. That means something has been revealed to me that was not revealed to anybody. Now, here's the problem with special revelation. Most of the time when special revelation happens, it counts as going against God's Word. Now, we see visions in the Bible, don't we? We see them in the Bible. They're throughout the Bible. But always the visions we can see in Scripture were visions that eventually made their way to humanity and visions that always were in line with the nature and the character and the person of Almighty God. But these people are saying, we're validating this worship of angels because we got a vision. Now, the problem is their visions that they, I mean, is angel worship ever taught in Scripture? No. Even in the Old Testament, was there ever a moment where they were teaching how you should be worshiping angels? Absolutely not. So the vision they got was counter what Scripture said, which means it is a lie, right? And the other problem with those who said they have the special revelation is at some point, Scripture takes a strong back seat and the vision and the special revelation takes the front seat. So what these people were doing is they said, listen, you need to worship angels. You need to let the angels bring you into a mystical union with God. That's what you need to do. You, that, that's a path you need to head down. And the people are like, well, I'm not sure I want to do that. Well, listen, I've had a vision from God. Now, who are you going to argue with the vision, right? Who's going to argue with that vision? Nobody. Nobody. So we've had a vision that this is the right way to live. And Paul says, listen, that is absolutely, they are defrauding you into believing that. In fact, you know what Paul says about these people, about mysticism? He says they're inflated in their minds. Let me translate that for you. They're absolutely crazy. They are absolutely crazy. They are inflated in their mind. And he said, listen, and here here was the most important part, and they're separated from the head. Who's the head of the church? Jesus is the head of the church. who, Who grows the church? Jesus grows the church. Who nurtures the church? Have you figured out this is the answer I'm looking for, right? Jesus is the one that nurtures it. Who holds the, all things together? Man, you're so smart. Jesus holds all things together. And says, listen, those who buy in and those who teach a philosophy of mysticism are separate from the head. In other words, what they're teaching is not from God. So don't be defrauded by that. And I'm just going to tell you, we live in a world that's probably more spiritually sensitive than it's ever been before. I mean, how many times have you driven up and down Colonial and seen all these psychic places, right? I mean, they're everywhere. And there's all these people that are into astrology. I mean, all these people that are into different things because why? They're searching for something spiritually, and they're looking beyond the scope of the person, the work of Christ to answer those things. And Paul says, don't be defrauded by that stuff. And I'm just going to tell you, and I want you to hear a pastor's heart this morning. I've been in ministry a long time and a Christian a long time, and I'm telling you, I turn on the TV just like you do, and I flip the channels, and occasionally I will stop on a TV preacher just like you do. And any time you hear them say something like this, well, I've had a vision from God, question what they're about to say next. Because they're claiming special revelation that's apart from general revelation that we have in God's Word. And when you claim special revelation, you are walking on shaky, shaky, shaky ground. In fact, in 1986, I'll never forget this. My dad and I were watching TV. My dad was not into God, not into church until later in life. And so we were watching TV. He knew that I was going to be a preacher. And he just thought, you know, I'm going to watch this because Doug loves church. And we're doing it. And we watched the guy, I won't tell you his name, but it was Oral Roberts. And so we're watching this guy. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I have a vision from God that if I don't raise $8 million by the end of this month, he's going to call me home. And I, I was 13 years old at the time, and I was not very mature in my faith, but everything in me wanted to rise up and go, I don't believe that, because that means God is manipulative, Right? That means God that's using us as puppet and manipulating our circumstances. So when somebody says, I've had a vision from God and they're declaring special revelation, you better make sure that what they say is something found in God's word. Now, so you may say, well, Doug, what are people who go, you know what? I was, I was studying scripture and God opened my eyes to some areas of my life that I need to, that I need to deal with. Well, say that. Don't say you had a word from God. Because there's a difference in special revelation and general revelation. And Paul's saying, those that claim special revelation, this mystical idea, they are defrauding you. So be careful. And I want you to hear you as your pastor. There are people in the world that are trying to defraud you with the same notion. And you need to be careful. If you got that, say amen. amen. It's a big deal. Now, the way the passage ends, I love it. Paul ends with a challenge to believers. He's warned them about two things. And then he issues this challenge. In verse 20 through 23, he says this, "'If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh.'" So Paul issues this final challenge to believers and says, listen, with all that you know, why in the world are you still submitting to these worldly philosophies? Why are you still buying into legalism? Why are you still buying into mysticism? Why are you still buying into asceticism? You have been saved and redeemed and changed. Why are you going back to that stuff? See, I know it seems wise. Hear me. I know it seems right. Like when I say what gums around comes around, we kind of want that to be true, don't we? We kind of do, because people have heard us, and we hope they get what's coming to them, right? We kind of hope that's true. So, so some of these philosophies, they seem right, but listen, they're always wrong. They seem right, but he says, they have absolutely no value. In other words, I guess in today's culture you could say they're kind of bougie. In other words, they, they say that they can do something, but they can't hold up their in the bargain. They say that they're about something, but they're not about something. At the end of the day, when you look at these philosophies, no way can these philosophies ever help us in the work of being more like Christ. No way can these philosophies help us look more like Jesus. No way can these philosophies help us kill the wickedness of our own flesh. So Paul says, "Stop submitting to them. Stop it because they're all deficient. And maybe some of you need to hear that same powerful word from your heavenly father this morning because you bought into all the wrong philosophies and he's simply saying this to you this morning. Stop it because they're deficient. They're never going to make you look more like Jesus. They're never going to help you kill the wickedness of your own flesh. So stop it. And see, I believe here with all of my heart this morning that for many of us in the room that are followers of Jesus, we're working hard to do all that we can to live for Christ. I believe that with everything in me. Unfortunately, many of us are trying to use man-made regulations and rituals to get there. Because they seem right, it makes sense, but they always fall short. The only way that you and I can live a life for Christ that he wants us to live is if we live a life surrendered to him if we live a life where we're willing to take on and to buy into his wisdom the revealed truth of God that every single one of you probably have in your home called the bible the only way we're going to grow is if we live by this book the very breath of God so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning I have two challenges for you this morning here's the first one will you heed the words of Paul Will you heed the words and make sure that you're not letting any worldly philosophies take you captive? Will you heed the words of Paul and make sure that you're not letting any philosophies push you into a mindset of legalism? Would you heed the warnings of Paul and make sure that the worldly philosophies are not pushing you into this notion of that that somehow they can provide something and produce something in you when they're always gonna fall short? Will you heed the warnings of Paul? And second of all, will we commit... To live and to trust God's wisdom, God's way, God's plan. Because guess what? Does he ever fall short? No. But the world does. So stop it. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Doug? I, I don't know that I've ever had a personal relationship with Christ. Well, here's what I want you to know. The world is going to inundate you with all their belief system. And I'm telling you, they will always, 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 everybody say Always. always. We got it, right? It will always lead you down the wrong trail, take you down the wrong path, lead you into something you don't want to do, and they will always fall short. And so today I would ask you, maybe you would give Jesus a shot. Maybe today, after you've heard so much, maybe you've been here for a couple weeks, and you've heard the truth about how much God loves you and how much Jesus loves you and he died for you and that we can only be saved by grace through faith in him. And today you'd say, you know what? I've tried the philosophy of this world and they've all failed me. And so today I want to surrender my life to Christ. If you will do that, man, all of heaven will throw a party for you. And more important than that, if you will make that decision today, your eternity will be changed. You will move from death to life, from darkness to light, and you will be changed Forever and if you've never made that decision i'm gonna be standing right there And what I love for you if you had the courage here or after the service over say doug Would you help me make that decision? I would love to help you I would love to see your life changed by the power of jesus this morning So whatever decision you make this morning, would you be faithful to do that? Let's all stand together. Everybody stand with me if you would every head bowed And every eye closed let's just stand together Father I love you and I thank you for today I thank you for the truth of your word, and Lord, it is it is powerful what we read today. And I thank you personally, Lord, I thank you for the warnings that you had Paul give the church of Colossae, because they are warnings we need to be hearing today. There are philosophies that are out there. Maybe we don't call them philosophies. We can call them worldviews, or we can call them mindsets, or whatever we want to call them, but they're out there. And they're trying to creep our way into our lives and our church because they want to shape our sense of identity and purpose and worldview. And they are of the enemy. And God, I pray that we would this morning just declare we will not be taken captive. We will not be enslaved by the philosophies of this world. But God, I also pray that we would heed the warnings of Paul today. That we wouldn't let anybody defraud us by thinking we can find a greater level of spirituality in abusing ourselves are worshiping angels, are seeking special revelation. That really the only way we can live a life that's honoring and pleasing you, only way that we can grow deeper in our spirituality is to grow in our love and our passion for Jesus. God, I pray for us today that we would heed The warning of Paul, and not let those people that are law keepers speak into our life words of condemnation because we know in Romans 8 it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Lord, the world cannot condemn us because we belong to you. So, God, may we heed those warnings and may we commit today as believers to live by your wisdom and your word. And then, God, I pray for that person here today, or maybe those people here today that have tried the philosophies of the world and they fall. They found out that they all fall short and that today they want to give Jesus a shot. Today they want to take a step of faith, Lord. I pray you would give them the courage to say yes to Jesus today, to ask you to forgive them of their sins and invite Jesus into their life to be their Lord and Savior. God, would you give them the courage to do that? Lord, we love you and we need you. And we know that every single one of us in this space today need to be faithful to respond as you would lead us. God, so move. May your Holy Spirit just fall fresh in this moment. We love you, Lord. Speak to us. Challenge us. Convict us. But God, most importantly, would you change us today? Lord, we thank you. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. May right where you find yourself this morning, where you're sitting, where you're standing, maybe this morning, would you just take a moment and respond to how maybe the Lord was piercing your heart this morning. Don't leave this place still kind of in limbo. If you need to accept Christ, today's the day for that. If you need to change the way you're living your life, today's the day for that. Because the only one that can help you do the very things you're pursuing is the person of Christ. So would you respond to him however he might be leading you?